I'm going to start off tonight. Uh, first of all, I'm going to pray. Um, and then I've got a little short story to tell you. Father, thank you for tonight, and thank you for each person who's represented here. Thank you, Father, um, for this place to meet. Thank you for all of Paula's hard work pulling this together week after week, and for Tam and Jane, Emily, Ethan. Lord, this is just, um, it's hard work behind the scenes. We are so grateful for them to create an atmosphere where we can come and worship and be part of this family. I ask you, Lord, for uh, your presence with us tonight. First of all, that your grace would come and you would speak peace over us. Pray you would just um, give us your heart for this season and what it really means. And I ask you for your help in teaching this lesson tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to tell you about a, um, a story. There was a small child who was one day drawing a picture on some paper. And his, so his mother asked him what he was doing. And he said, uh, well, I'm drawing a picture of God. And she said, don't be silly. You can't draw a picture of God. No one knows what God looks like. And the child replied, well, they will by the time I've finished. <laughs> <laughs> and that we used to tell that joke in our Alpha course for new people who were trying to understand what the image of God was about. And, um, but this, uh, with the coming of Jesus, we, can't, when we, are, we can no longer say we don't know what God is like. He said himself, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We're one and the same. And so, basically, Jesus was saying, if you don't know what the Father's like, you'll know by the time I finish. And sure enough, we do. There, for thousands of years in the Old Testament, uh, pointed out the coming of the Christ, and there was 44 specific prophecies about the coming of the Messiah, and just over 100 uh, references to and allusions to. Allusion to and, but it's the, my favorite of all of those uh, that, that we posted up on our screen tonight is the one out of Isaiah 9. It says, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. Have you ever wondered why it was referenced twice as a child and a son? Well, people smarter than me have figured this out, and in one commentary I read by Brian Simmons says, it's interesting these two descriptions of Jesus frame the whole picture of who he was. He was both a child and a son, for very different reasons. First of all, in the reference to the child who would be born speaks to us of his humanity, his lineage from his mother, natural mother Mary. But the reference to his being a son points to uh, his eternal deity, and actually it represents and speaks to him being born of the seed of God. Over the past few days, Dan and I, have been, like I say, have been watching a number of Christmas movies on TV, Hallmark and various ones, and we haven't seen Christmas Vacation yet, but I'm sure we'll get that one in because it's one of her favorites. We did what yesterday. We took some time out, though, to watch my favorite, which is Nativity, the Nativity. It really is our favorite Christmas uh, movie of all time. And it brought to mind everything I'm speaking of tonight. It was depicted really well. I think if you haven't seen it, you probably should. It's a great picture. I think it's accurate as far as I know. But the movie was taken from the New Testament account of Christ's birth in the book of Luke in chapter 1. And we will pick up the story here in verse 26. And I'm gonna, I'll give you a little back story on it. It says, During the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God's presence to an unmarried girl named Mary, living in Nazareth, a village in Galilee. Now, many translations will say a virgin. She says that she's an unmarried girl, that, and it 
clarifies that in just a few moments. She was engaged, and, and actually in, in that engagement, there was a one-year betrothal where she lived with her parents, and she was uh, considered married to this man. So she was in her first year of betrothal to a man named Joseph, a true descendant of King David, the kingly lineup. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Grace to you, young woman. Now in the movie, it was... It was uh, it was very moving because she was sitting in a garden and the wind started blowing. You could tell something was coming spiritually. And as the wind blew, suddenly there was a, a, an angel standing before her and it was, it was really done well. This is the angel Gabriel. And he says to her, grace to you, young woman, for the Lord is with you. And so you are anointed with great favor. Now, to us that sounds good, doesn't it? But obviously, the message wasn't immediately received well because of her response immediately. Apparently, it was confusing and a little intimidated because it tells us uh, in the next verse, Mary was deeply troubled over the words of the angel and bewildered over what this may mean for her. <clears throat> so I think if an angel appeared to me and said, Grace to you, Bob. Lord, you, you found favor with God. And I said, okay, what's up? <laughs> and sure enough, as you can imagine, she was concerned. We see that this is, this is the Lord moving in his grace. The angel immediately is determined to not let her be put off by this news or to take a wrong turn. And he begins to minister to her with some words of encouragement. And he said, but he told the angel, reassured her, saying, do not yield to your fear, Mary. Stop right now. And don't go there. I have good news, and I want you to stay on track here with me. And don't fear what you don't know. So there's a moment where he, this is the word of God coming to her. And we know that the word of God carries power to accomplish what it came for. And so, in other words, she, he says, he, he continues, he says, For the Lord has found delight in you and has chosen to surprise you with a wonderful gift. Little did she know. In the next sentence, he says, you will become pregnant with a baby boy, and you are to name him Jesus. <coughs> he will be supreme. And that's a lot of words came under this one word. I think Brian took a certain liberty with the interpretation, but supreme means head over everything. He will be supreme and will be known as the son of the highest and the Lord God will enthrone him as king on his ancestor David's throne. He will reign as king of Israel forever, and his reign will have no limit. So this is a divine, eternal prophecy about the son that would be born to her. And Mary says, she doesn't say why, she didn't ask all the negative questions, because she's, she's been reinforced with this ministry of encouragement. And now there's a sense of anticipation in her, not apprehension. And she says, but how could this happen? I'm still a virgin. And Gabriel answered, the spirit of holiness will fall upon you, and Almighty God will spread his shadow of power over you in a cloud of glory. By the way, that word there, that cloud of glory, that's the same word that's used in describing what came over Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration. The glory of God came in power, and at this moment there was a there was a, a moment in time where God was n negotiating with this woman, and this is a conditional offer that He makes to her. He didn't say this is going to happen to you whether you want it or not. 
And he comes to her and he says, this is what's before you. And it's a wonderful thing. You're chosen above all women. This is why he says the child born to you will be holy. And what that means is, and, and we understand it come to mean, is this child is said to be holy because he will be born without sin. He'll have no natural sin in his, in his makeup because he is, his father is the absolutely pure almighty God. So the child will be born holy and without sin. And he will be called the son of God. <clears throat> What's more, your aged aunt, Elizabeth, has also become pregnant with a son. The barren one is now in her sixth month. <clears throat> so why would he want at this point to remind her of this th occurrence, this thing that's happening with her um, aunt Elizabeth? Why would he tell her that, oh, by the way, she's pregnant too? Because it was an impossibility. And he was further giving her the strength of the word of God to prepare her for what was about to happen. And then he says this, and I think this is the import. This is the weight of his message to her. It's not how, it's if. The question is, if you will, God can. So he says to her, not one promise from God is empty of power. Not one God, promise from God is empty of power, for nothing is impossible with God. Now this, like I said, the weight of this word itself brought the faith, the belief of this. Because she had to deal with some, an some anxiety and some fear. We know this because she responds in a sudden outburst with incredible words of faith. And having been through this, she immediately responds in the moment with these words. And she says, this is amazing. I will be a mother for the Lord. As his servant, I accept whatever he has for me. And may everything you've told me come to pass. That was a, a huge step for her to make to this commitment of bringing forth the Christ child. Two things she said that are important. The words, I will and I accept. That's what God was waiting for. I believe in my heart that it was at that moment the Christ was conceived in her womb when she said yes to God. As I consider this verse, it became apparent to me that, that this offer from the Lord was conditional and the I will and I accept were absolutely necessary because this was, a, this was something that she had to receive and it couldn't be forced on her, could it? In order for Christ to be conceived in her, she would have to agree to receive him and that faith would be accompanied by her saying yes to God. See, God's words carry the power to accomplish the incredible miracles. But his words require a fertile soil of agreement for them to take root. It's my opinion that in that moment, Jesus was conceived. In the moment of agreement. And so it is with us. In the moment of agreement, Jesus is conceived in us. And even though she was troubled and bewildered, she nevertheless agreed with him that this would happen. Her faith was based on an understanding of who God was and the power that was present in this word of, of faith and prophecy. In that moment, the seed of God was released in their spiritual union. 
And it was only then that the angel left her. He waited for that moment of agreement because then it was accomplished. His mission was accomplished. The seed of God's word had been received by faith and had created the life of Jesus in their union. Now it's because she had received the word of God into her spirit and soul that the person that's mentioned next in Isaiah 9 can be spoken of. He would become, and he was inherently in his seed form, he was the wonderful counselor. He was the mighty God and the eternal father and the prince of peace. But first, he had to find a home in which to be born so that he could come forth as a man and she could present him to the world as a gift. And so it is with us. As we receive him in our hearts and form this spiritual union, we can then allow him to grow in us and eventually to deliver him to a waiting world. It's a beautiful picture of that original conception. As I considered this, I was reminded that receiving the seed of Christ into my heart is a one-time moment, in ti- a one-time event or moment in time. I, re- I, I'm, I remember now as a young Baptist boy praying that prayer and saying, I received Jesus into my heart and I had not a clue what that meant. I didn't. I had no idea. I just knew that in the moment it seemed right. And so God said, that's good enough. We'll let him gestate in you and see what comes forth. When I do that in faith, he promises he will come. He says, if you ask me, I will come. And, and, we, and he, when he does, he embraces me on something that he's called, he's told me is an eternal embrace. He said, Bob, when you ask me to come, I embrace you, and I never let go. Our, our spirits become one, and I live in you for eternity. But I also realized something else here. Not only in that moment does he come and live in me as he birthed in me, but there's a time when I must nurture and care for that child that's been born in me. The word of God is in my soul it's ongoing and it requires my care and attention. And as I was writing this and I was thinking about what that meant, it suddenly occurred to me, and the, the light just seemed to come on, that over the last two weeks, this is what we've been talking about. I began to recall the thread of God's message we've heard the past two weeks, from, uh, first from Paula's message of simplifying our lives and taking the clutter out so that we can begin to see clearly what's important. And what Chip had to say about stopping in our lives to actually fast our lives to make room for God. And just like that, it suddenly came together. And I I could hear the Lord speaking to me about what this message would mean. See, our part in this exchange would be to accept his word with faith and have it implanted in our hearts. But in order for that to happen, I have to be available and I have to bring my will and my acceptance to this exchange. And I can't do that if I'm too busy to hear the messenger. I saw a post in the internet the other day and it reminded me of something the Lord told me back in November that I wrote in my journal and I I just read through it and I thought that's really good, I'll come back to that and I never did. But this reminded me when I saw this and it was a, a prophetic word, I think it was Bobby Connor had written this and he said, seekers will be finders. And finders will be 
sought. That was a different twist. Seekers will be finders, and finders will be sought. So I went back to the Jeremiah passage to see what, how that read different, because it didn't sound like what I'd read. In Jeremiah 29, 13, it says this, You will find, seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. But God was saying something different here. He said, if you seek me, the seeker will be found. The word he spoke to me was similar to that, but it was this. Bob, if you seek me, I will find you. So to me, that meant that I, I was the one who was lost, and I was the one who needed to be found. And there was no way I could find God apart from him seeking me at the same time. That's a different message for this year. If we will but seek him, he will make sure, regardless of where we are, that he will find us. Is that reassuring? I don't know about you. I'm not always in a place where I think I know where God is. In fact, quite often I don't. But he always knows where I am. And when I seek him, he always responds. Isn't that good of him? Our seeking doesn't have to be perfect. Isn't that good news? But it does have to have a starting point. We can't think about wishing that it would happen and never move into some kind of action. If we're going to seek God, it requires us to do something to call out to him and to beckon him to come closer. Am I right? For me, that starting point is the message of responding to him with some undistracted time and focus. If I'm going to seek him, I have to open myself to actually be aware of him. I have to be to recognize his movement and try to hear his words, do I not? Amen. Otherwise, it just blows right by me like most of his activity in my life, and I totally miss it. But when I'm tuned in and I'm seeking him, he is always available and present. This week he made it clear this has been the same message that he's been speaking to all of his people. It's been consistent with us for weeks that we need to remove the clutter. We need to fast ourselves in some way to make room for God. And here he is. There's room for him in the end, finally. That's a village end, that is. <laughs> uh -huh. God's seed comes to us in these words. And he says this, children, if you seek me, I will find you. And what is our response that echoes Mary's heart? I would, I would pray that it would be her words. As your servant, I accept whatever you have for me. May everything you tell me come to pass. Wouldn't that be a good response to God? And this is a good time of year to make that response. Here's my point. How, we, how will we do that if we're too busy to hear? Hearing him will require us to simplify our chaotic lives. And we do the best by setting aside a time to be with him, to clear the clutter and try to prepare a way where we can hear him. The Lord described this process with me in these words. This is in Jesus' calling. I think the words were really appropriate. It said this, take time to listen to my voice and through your sacrifice of precious time, I bless you far more than you dare to ask. 
your sacrifice of precious time, God promises to hear that and to be present. He calls it worship. He calls it sacrificial for you to stop and make room for him. And finally, my last verse here is in 1 Peter. It says, For through the eternal and living word of God, you have been born again. This is the inviting, the seed to take root in our hearts. You're born again. And this seed, he says in 1 Peter, that he planted within you can never be destroyed. Isn't that good? Can never be destroyed. But it will live and grow inside of you forever. It just needs some care, some nurture. So how do we respond to this message? Well, it depends on where you're coming from. If you've never heard this message of God wanting to come and to put the seed of Jesus in your heart and to give you eternal life, this would be a good night for you to respond and say yes to that. I will and I accept are the words that Mary used. If you've already done that and you know Jesus to be your Savior and he already lives in your heart, then the message is the same. Take time out of your life to give that seed life. Let it live and grow inside of you this season. Can we do that? Let me pray for us. And Paul's going to come up and lead us in some candlelight festivities. <clears throat> Father, thank you for this message. Uh, you are always gracious and um, to call to us, to beckon to us, to come closer. Like little children who are afraid, you have to to motion to us to come closer and speak kind words that are soft and inviting. And you've done that tonight. And so as best we know how, we say we will and we accept. And all the people agreed by saying, Amen. <laughs>